Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining Podcasts. Society-13.com I like to listen. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 162nd episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And today is a very big day in America. It is Election Day. And so we thought it would be a lot of fun to bring you a location that would pertain specifically to Election Day, and that's the White House. We're going to talk about the history of this grand home that we all know as the People's House in America, and we will talk about the hauntings that are there as well. There are a lot of ghosts at this house, Denise. Some of them are former presidents and some other people as well. Before we do that, we have a couple of announcements we want to make. First, we want to remind you that our design contest is going on until November 30th of 2016. That's your chance to send us your exclusive design to be voted upon in the contest. It will be placed on t-shirts that we do as part of drawings for listeners in the year 2017. And as we said on the previous episode, those just need to be 1500 by 1500 pixels and need to contain the three elements of a ghost, the name History Ghost Bump, and a castle of some sort, plus whatever else you want to throw in there. And then Denise is going to announce something new that we're going to be doing here at History Ghost Bump. And this is something we've been working on for quite some time. And it has developed because there are so many of you that ask us when you're going to be in a certain area, what ghost tour should I go on? And in a lot of places, we haven't been on the ghost tour. So we just tell you, well, if we were going there, this is the one we would do. So hopefully this will help us to have a little bit more information for those of you who are asking those kinds of questions. What that is that we are going to be starting on January 2017 is the History Goes Bump Ambassador Program. And so this was suggested to us by Jill in San Antonio, Texas. And so she is already the ambassador for San Antonio. If you're interested in being the ambassador of your city, what that's going to entail is basically going on some of your local ghost tours and reviewing them. So like Diane said, when somebody's coming to your area, we know what tours to recommend to them to do. Also to assist in setting up meetups when we visit the area, or if the locals are wanting to get together for a meetup, that you would be the point person in your area. And then down the road, we are interested in starting to do some weekend conferences, maybe once a year. So if that happens to come to your area one year, that you would help with arranging and setting that up. So we're very, very excited about this program. If you're interested in being a part of it, just contact us and let us know. And we will start adding the ambassadors to our repertoire. And this is not just for local. If any of our internationals want to be the ambassador for their area, please let us know. Super, super excited about this new program. And I hope that 
that you all are as excited as we are. If you're worried that you don't want to have your information out there for all these people to be contacting you, what we will be doing is when they contact us, we will forward their information to you. So they won't be getting your information. You'll be getting theirs. And then it's up to you if you want to contact with them. We'd like to welcome to the Spooktacular crew, Shabnam. Hey, Shabnam. Graham. Hey, Graham. Rashida. Hi, Rashida. Yuen. Hello, Yuen. Lindsay. Hi, Lindsay. Oro Chumaru. Hello, Oro Chumaru. James and Sarah. Hello, James and Sarah. Alan. Hi, Alan. Lauren. Hey, Lauren. Matthew. Hello, Matthew. Jenny. Hey, Jenny. Riaz. Hello, Riaz. Our niece, Casey. Hey, Casey. And we have Jamie, who spells her name J-A-Y-M-I. That's pretty cool. Hey, Jamie, who spells her name the way Diane just said, and it's pretty cool. And her son, Ethan, who has also joined us. Hey, Ethan. Denise, are you ready to head on out to the White House? I most certainly am. History Goes Bump is entirely listener supported. Become an executive producer for as little as $1 a month. Get listed on the website and invited to exclusive virtual meetups. For $5 a month, you get that and exclusive bonus content like the Haunted True Crime bonus cast. For $10 and above a month, you'll get all that plus awesome History Goes Bump gear. Check out patreon.com slash historygoesbump or you can support us via PayPal. Click the support the show tab at historygoesbump.com for more information. History is full of oddities, curiosities, mysteries, and the truly bizarre. Welcome to This Moment in Oddity. In today's Moment in Oddity was suggested by Michael Rogers. Many of you paranormal aficionados know what a doppelganger is, but for those of you who do not, it's either someone who looks like somebody else or the ghost of a living person. Seeing a doppelganger generally is bad luck. Emily Sadji was a teacher in the 19th century in Latvia. Julie von Goldenstube was a student of Emily Sadji, and she told an unbelievable tale to American writer Robert Dale Owen, who wrote it down. One day in class, all of Emily's 13 students saw a woman who looked exactly like her standing at the blackboard, mimicking the moves of Emily. The teacher was completely unaware of her doppelganger being there. Later, when Emily was in the garden working, her students saw her doppelganger sitting at the desk. Some have reasoned that Emily was able to project herself in some way, possibly just by her will. For example, as she worked in the garden, she thought to herself that she really should be in the classroom to keep the kids from mischief. Is this why her doppelganger appeared in the classroom while she was in the garden? The doppelganger appeared several times and Emily claimed that she never saw it, but she did say that she felt drained when it was nearby. If this doppelganger story is true, then it certainly is odd. Creepy makes history more delicious. This Day in History On this day, November 8th in 1939, George Elser attempts to assassinate Adolf Hitler at the Burgerbrauer Keller. Sixteen years before, Hitler had launched the Beer Hall Pooch from Burgerbrauer Keller, which was one of the largest beer halls and located in Munich, Germany. 
This was a failed coup and resulted in the arrest of Hitler for treason, but it started the Nazi movement that would eventually come to power and install Hitler as Chancellor in 1933. Because of this, Hitler would return to this location every year to commemorate the Beer Hall Pusht. George Elser knew this and planted a time bomb inside a pillar of the Beer Hall. The bomb did go off and killed eight people and injured 57. But Hitler had cut his speech short and he had already left by the time the bomb exploded. Elser was arrested and executed for the assassination attempt. History Goes Bump Podcast. The White House is suggested to us by Rob Shearfield and April Rogers Crick, and we got some of the research assistance from April Rogers Crick as well. For over 200 years, a building called simply the White House has housed the most important leader in the United States of America, the President. The structure that sits at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue today is not the original, and even after being rebuilt, it has been transformed throughout the decades both outside and inside. Despite the changes, the White House has always been a symbol of the great republic that America is and how seamlessly leadership is transferred from one presidency to the next. Running alongside the regular history of this building is a supernatural one. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of the White House. That's something that many international listeners may not know that we take great pride in here in America is that transfer of power seamlessly. And it's amazing how quickly they come in and change the house around to the new ownership, the new decoration, the new furniture, everything. We actually have this miniature place right up the road from us that has a miniature of the White House. It's the official miniature of the White House. People come from all over to see this, and it's in our little city, so it's kind of fun. And we finally saw it not too long ago. I believe the History Channel produced a show that was about the transition of power and changing over the decor of the White House, because as each family comes in, they change everything. And they do it in like six hours or something. It's in between the prior president leaving and the next president being sworn in. It's amazing what they do in that short period of time. It's like a small army that comes in and transforms it. So, After the Revolutionary War, in 1790, Congress established a federal district to be the center of the government and called it Washington, D.C. And the D.C. stands for District of Columbia. They chose a spot along the Potomac River that was between the northern and southern states. George Washington was president and he asked French architect Pierre-Charles L'Enfant to survey the area and design a complete city. Leonfont was presented with a blank canvas and he relished the opportunity. He arrived in Georgetown in March of 1791 and designed an ambitious city. Thomas Jefferson did not like the plan and preferred a design he came up with that was much more simple. Washington liked Leonfont's design that was a mall that would be open to all the people. And the White House would be more than just the president's house, it would be the people's house. Leonfont envisioned a palace for the president. President Washington handpicked the site for the White House. As the construction of Washington, D.C. began, Leifant got into numerous conflicts with builders and refused to allow any compromises. Before long, he was fired for insubordination. Someone else needed to be hired as architect for the White House. 
A competition was held in 1792, and several architects submitted designs. A design submitted by Irish-born architect James Hoban was chosen. Hoban was born in Kilkenny, Ireland in 1758 and immigrated to Charleston, South Carolina in 1785. He moved to the nation's capital after winning the competition and spent the rest of his life there, even serving as a member of the city council from 1802 to 1831. The house was built from Aquia Creek sandstone painted white. After eight years of construction, President John Adams and his wife Abigail finally moved into the unfinished house in 1800. Thomas Jefferson became president in 1801 and moved into the house. He had architect Benjamin Latrobe add colonnades on each wing that helped conceal the stables and storage located there. During the War of 1812, the British invaded Washington, D.C. On August 24, 1814, they broke into the White House, ate the meal prepared for the president, and set fire to the White House. Most of the building was a total loss, as were many of the buildings in the city. President Madison urged Congress to rebuild the buildings right there and not move the government to another city. They thought, well, since everything's been torched, why don't we just move somewhere else? But Madison didn't want to do that. Thank goodness. James Hoban was appointed to rebuild the house. Hoban had the walls dismantled down to the basement level, except for the middle section, and he held on to the carved ornamentation even though they had scorch marks. While it took 10 years to build the original house, the rebuild took only three years. President James Monroe moved into the building in 1817. Benjamin Latrobe drew up proposals for a north and south portico to be added to the house. During Monroe's administration in 1824, the south portico was constructed. In 1829, President Andrew Jackson oversaw the construction on the north portico. They were both constructed from Seneca sandstone that was quarried in Maryland. Once these porticos were finished, the White House we see today was completed. In 1829, Andrew Jackson furnished the East Room for the first time. Offices were moved as the 19th century brought in presidential families with children and more living space was needed. The ground floor was a utilitarian basement area that housed the servants' living quarters, storage rooms, kitchens, a furnace, and workspaces. President James K. Polk ordered that a statue of Jefferson by French sculptor Pierre-Jean-David D'Angers be set up on the front lawn of the White House in 1848. The statue stood in the center of the lawn, which was cut and rolled and seasonally decorated with flower beds. This garden was the people's garden and open to the public every day. The statue of Jefferson was moved to the Capitol building in 1873. And I've actually seen it. Have you, Denise? That one, I don't, I don't know that I've seen that one. James K. Polk really liked President Jefferson. He felt like they were very similar men with their ideas on expansionism and such. President James Buchanan was elected in 1857. He was unmarried and his niece served as the first lady and she urged him to add a wooden greenhouse on the roof of the West Terrace that was adjacent to the state dining room. It was a garden wonderland that guests could visit until it burned in 1867 and was replaced by an iron and wood structure twice as large as the earlier one. President Chester Arthur transformed the interior of the White House drastically when his presidency began in 1881. Twenty-four wagon loads of furniture were transported away from the house. Interior decorator Louis Timpany added his touches, which featured artistic painting and many surfaces were transformed with his decorative patterns. And then there was his trademark, colored glass. Love those Tiffany glass windows. I love Tiffany glass windows. They're so pretty. In 1901, President Theodore Roosevelt was elected president. 
The White House had been referred to by various names, ranging from the executive mansion to the president's house to the president's palace. Roosevelt officially gave the White House its current name. President Roosevelt also began a major renovation to the White House in 1902. He wanted the offices moved from the second floor to the new executive office building, which is now known as the West Wing. This building would take the place of greenhouses that grew roses, orchids, and bedding plants. The New York architectural firm McKim, Mead, and White oversaw the renovation. President William Howard Taft had the Oval Office constructed within as an enlarged office wing, and every president since has decorated the office according to his own tastes. President Woodrow Wilson's wife turned the attic into a space for herself, and in the 1920s, President Coolidge's wife had a sunroom built that eventually became the current solarium. And it is kind of cool that museum we were telling you about, they have one of the, either a replica or one of the original desks. And so we actually have a picture of Diane sitting there acting very presidential. Denise, I believe it's a replica of the Resolute desk. Oh, very cool. The one that that most presidents have. Most of them have kept this desk as part of their Oval Office. It's a large 19th century partner's desk, and it's been around for a really long time. It's just gorgeous. It's carved wood. Just beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. The original architect, Hoban, did not make the best decision when he kept the damaged walls in the rebuilding after the War of 1812, and much of the White House needed to be demolished and rebuilt starting in 1948. That reconstruction would finish in 1952 and was supervised by architect Lorenzo Winslow. The Truman family moved back in after the construction in 1952. The White House consists of six levels, which include 132 rooms and 35 bathrooms. There are 412 doors, 147 windows, 28 fireplaces, 8 staircases, and 3 elevators. And we have some fun firsts that have happened at the White House that we thought we'd share with you. President James Polk, who served from 1845 to 1849, was the first president to have his photograph taken. That's fun. President Theodore Roosevelt served from 1901 to 1909, and he was the first president to ride in an automobile and also the first president to travel outside the country when he visited Panama. And President Franklin Roosevelt served from 1933 to 1945, and he was the first president to ride in an airplane. And it also is because of President Franklin Roosevelt that our presidents are now term limited. So the reason why our presidents only serve for two terms is because President Franklin Roosevelt got four of them. He did not finish his last one, of course. He did die in office. Sometimes when people have a little bit too much time in power, they start to do things that are not good. And so Congress decided, you know what, we better limit these guys because it goes to their head a little bit. So that's why we have term limits now. And the reason why they decided on two terms is because our first president, George Washington, After he served two terms, he said, that's enough. I'm going back to my farm. And so they just thought that that's how every other president should be, that he was the best example. Well, and also from George Washington, when they wanted him to be the king, he said, absolutely not. And so that works with the term limits as well, is that nobody ever gets that absolute power for years and years and years and years. And of course, this is my personal opinion, but I feel like he was the best president we ever had for many reasons. One was he didn't want to be president. That's always a great indicator that you're going to be a good leader if you don't want it. 
wouldn't that be nice these days to have people being dragged into office instead of like tearing each other down to get it? He would only serve for those two terms. He would not take the kingship. He did not want to be a monarchy. So when Alexander Hamilton came along, and I know everybody's a big fan of that play, but I'm not a fan of the man that it's named for. It's not one of my favorite people in history. He wanted it to be a monarchy. And the president said, no, we're not doing that. And then if you think that Charles Leinfant came to him and said, I want to build you a palace. And he was like, um, I like your ideas on a lot of stuff, but let's not do the palace thing, which is going to be huge. So, I mean, he didn't let any of that stuff go to his head. He yeah. could have had a palace and been king and he didn't want that. Yeah, he wanted the people's garden, the people's mm-hmm. house. I mean, all of that that had to do with what our constitution stands for. So that's very, very cool. I've gotten to tour the White House and I've seen many parts of it that a lot of people probably don't get to see anymore because I got to see it before they started closing things off and really restricting it. And we call it the people's house because it is our house. The government is of the people, for the people, by the people, and that's our house. We pay for it. It's our house. And that's why presidents are not allowed to take the furniture from there, even though some have done that in the past. I'm not going to name any names, but they're not allowed to take the furniture out of there unless it's their personal furniture that they've brought in. It's really neat to think that this is the people's house, but unfortunately we don't get to see as much of it or be as in a lot of it because of worries about security now. Yeah, it's an unfortunate thing that yeah. we live in this world. That's very, very sad because, oh, well, it is the day or sign of the times, I guess. Yep. Every president since John Adams has occupied the White House and the history of the building extends far beyond the construction of its walls. From the ground floor corridor rooms transferred from their early use as service areas the state floor rooms where the countless leaders and dignitaries have been entertained, the White House is both the home of the President of the United States, his family, and a museum of American history. The White House is a place where history continues to unfold. Some of that history continues to haunt the grounds today. When President John Adams and his wife Abigail moved into the White House in 1800, construction was not complete and the home was not yet fully furnished. Abigail must have loved the house or left quite an imprint on it, because her apparition has been seen many times. Looking for a place to hang and dry laundry, Abigail had chosen the East Room for this task. And don't you love that a first lady was like, where am I going to hang my laundry? I know, it's just, (laughs) it's cute. Yes. Over the years, many people have claimed to see Abigail Adams with her arms outstretched as though she's carrying the laundry, entering the East Room. President Howard Taft claimed to have seen the ghost of Abigail Adams floating through doors on several occasions. Dolly Madison, the wife of President James Madison, was known for her lavish social gatherings and parties. She planted the lovely rose garden we still enjoy today. When President Woodrow Wilson was in office, his wife Ellen decided to have the rose bushes moved. The gardeners were busy digging and preparing the roses to be moved when all of a sudden they saw the apparition of First Lady Dolly Madison coming towards them, yelling and waving her arms frantically. Her message was clear. She was not happy about her roses being moved. They refused to continue the work, and the rose garden stayed where it was planted. Others have seen her strolling in the garden, as she must have many times while she was still alive. The War of 1812 left a mark on the White House that was more than just the one left by fire. Since 1814, the ghostly figure of a British redcoat has been seen trying to set the house on fire as a type of residual haunting. One account is from the 1940s and was told by a diplomat and his wife who were spending the night in the White House. They were asked if they slept well, and the diplomat replied that they had not. He said that his wife kept waking up during the night claiming that a British soldier was trying to burn the bed. That's a great image. So happy that they are guests. 
The Lincoln family has added two apparitions to the White House. Mary Todd Lincoln claimed to see the apparition of her young son, Willie. He had died in the White House in 1862. From 1862 to 1863, she would hold seances in the Red Room trying to reach her son. Spiritualism was highly popular during the Civil War, and Mrs. Lincoln became quite the aficionado. She also claimed to hear President Andrew Jackson stomping and cursing around the hallways. During the 1870s, President Ulysses S. Grant claimed to see the apparition of young Willie Lincoln on several occasions. The daughter of President Lyndon B. Johnson claimed to have seen the ghost of Willie in her room, and that was the room where he had died. And those seances, President Lincoln actually went to a couple of them. So he didn't just say, uh, whatever my wife's doing, let her do her own thing. He actually participated in a couple of them. So there you go, all you spirit tempters out there. You have good company with um, one of <laughs> one of our presidents here in the United States. And he had a lot of weird dreams. He dreamed about his death, and he, he pretty much knew that he was going to die while he was in office. He was a very melancholy man. We actually did an episode on the assassination of Abraham Lincoln and talked about his life as one of our haunted true crime episodes. President Abraham Lincoln is the most seen ghost in the White House. In the 1940s, Queen Wilhelmina of the Netherlands was visiting FDR and she was staying in the Queen's room. Looking rather tired at a cocktail party, she related the story of the night before. She heard a knock at her room's door and when she answered it, there stood the full-bodied apparition of Lincoln. She did what I think I would have. She fainted to the floor and there she spent most of the night passed out. First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt also claimed to have seen the ghost of Lincoln. White House employees and First Lady Grace Coolidge also claimed to see the ghost of Lincoln in the Yellow Oval Room, which Lincoln used as his personal library. He is seen in there standing and looking out the windows. You wonder why Lincoln is like the number, you know, probably the one of the most seen apparitions at the White House. I wonder if it's because even though other presidents have been in office during wars, President Lincoln was in office during the country's war within itself. I mean, he had his country just falling apart. And I wonder if just all of that extra stress or something is what kept him there. Well, I think we've come to find when we talk about hauntings here in America, the main ones and the ones that seem to be the most intense seem to center around the Civil War. And I just think it's because of all of the emotion that was connected to that. And it's because you have brother against brother. He was trying to hold a nation together. You also have slavery and trying to end that. It was just huge. There were so many things going on. It wasn't just a war over slavery. I mean, we were talking about states that didn't like him as president and wanted to secede for other reasons as well, for some of their states' rights. It wasn't just about slavery. I mean, that was a part of it, but there was a lot going on there. And he was trying to hold it all together. And then plus, like you said, having fathers against sons, just depending on where they lived and stuff like that. It was just a very, very dark mark on our history. And you're right, whenever you go up, especially on this side, there's a Mm -hmm. lot, a lot of hauntings um, connected with the Civil War. You had them conducting seances there. So maybe they opened some doors. He died in office and he was just a very depressed and melancholy man. He was not a happy man. And they, they, were, not ha- they were not a happy family. They didn't have a happy marriage. They lost their child in the White House. I mean, losing a child, that's the worst thing that can happen to a parent. And he, he died there. Many times they've seen both Willie and Lincoln's ghosts together. So I don't know if he stayed there because his son was still there. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know how all that works, of course. One of the most famous sightings was reported by Prime Minister Winston Churchill. He was staying at the White House in the 1940s, and he had just finished with a bath and was walking into the Lincoln bedroom naked. He found Lincoln leaning against the fireplace mantle. 
Churchill remarked, Good evening, Mr. President. You seem to have me at a disadvantage. Lincoln smiled and then disappeared. President Harry Truman also claimed to have encountered the ghost of Lincoln. He heard a knock on his bedroom door, and when he answered it, no one was there. He stepped out of the room into a cold spot, and as he walked down the hall, he heard footsteps and shuffling down the corridor. The list of those who've claimed to see Lincoln also include First Ladies, Jackie Kennedy, Lady Bird Johnson, Presidents Hoover, Teddy Roosevelt, Eisenhower, and presidential children Susan Ford and Maureen Reagan and her husband had seen the ghost several times at the White House, usually as a red or orange aura. An unnamed prominent actor claimed to have awakened because of a voice pleading aloud. He rolled over to see Lincoln lying prostrate on the carpet with his arms outstretched and his fingers digging into the carpet. Very weird vision there. Tony Savoy, White House operations foreman, has had the last reported sighting of Lincoln, and that was in the 1980s. He saw Lincoln sitting in a chair at the top of the stairs. So I'm not sure why he hasn't made an appearance for almost 40 years now, but maybe he's finally at peace. It has been said that President William Harrison, who was the first president to die in office just one month into his first term in office, has been seen haunting the attic. They say he's looking for something, but no one knows what. The ghost of President Andrew Jackson has been spotted in the Rose bedroom. He's always either laughing or swearing, and a cold spot can be felt on the canopy bed. It's not all presidents and their families seen in the afterlife here. David Burns, the man who sold the land that the White House was built upon, has been heard in the attic in several other rooms. Lillian Rogers Parks was a White House seamstress that worked there for 30 years. In her 1961 memoir, she told the story of a valet to President Franklin D. Roosevelt who claimed to have heard a disembodied voice in the yellow oval room saying, I'm Mr. Burns. A guard serving during Harry S. Truman's administration claimed to hear a similar voice say the same thing, but he thought it was the Secretary of State James Burns. When he went looking for him, he learned that the Secretary hadn't been in the White House that day. It probably would have helped if the ghost would have spelled out his name and said, I'm Mr. Burns, B-U-R-N-S, because the Secretary of State's last name was Burns, B-Y-R-N-E-S. Exactly. The following is a retelling of a story told by President Reagan. Rex was the King Charles Cavalier Spaniel that President Reagan and his wife owned, and he had recently replaced Lucky as first dog. He twice barked frantically in the Lincoln bedroom and then backed out and refused to set foot over the threshold. On another evening, while the Reagans were watching TV in their room, Rex stood up on his hind legs, pointed his nose at the ceiling, and began barking at something invisible overhead. To their amazement, the dog walked around the room, barking at the ceiling. I started thinking about it, the president continued, and I began to wonder if the dog was responding to an electric signal too high-pitched for human ears, perhaps beamed toward the White House by a foreign embassy. I asked my staff to look into it. The president laughed and said, I might as well tell you the rest. A member of our family, and he meant his daughter, Maureen, and her husband always stay in the Lincoln bedroom when they visit the White House. Some time ago, the husband woke up and saw a transparent figure standing at the bedroom window looking out. Then it turned and disappeared. His wife, my daughter, Maureen, teased him mercilessly about it for a month. Then when they were here recently, she woke up one morning and saw the same figure standing at the window looking out. She could see the trees right through it. Again, it turned and disappeared. And they believe that that was President Lincoln that they had seen. It was his, his room. So, And then there's the stories of the demon cat that many have claimed to see in the basement. It only shows itself when a significant national disaster is about to happen. It was last seen sometime before 9-11. Let's hope that nobody ever sees it again. 
The Rose Room and the Lincoln Bedroom are claimed to be the most haunted rooms in the house. So is the White House haunted by all of these ghosts? That is for you to decide. Well, I've been to the White House and I didn't notice anything weird there, but I haven't ever stayed the night, so... I didn't get to go when I was in Washington, D.C., because you can't just show up and say, hey, I'd like to come in and see it. And I didn't get in in time because months out, you have Mm -hmm. to try to get on the list. So I didn't get to go in. Yeah, it used to be something you could schedule a little bit closer, but not anymore. Our next episode, we're going to be in our state here in Florida, and we're going to go way south, all the way down to the Florida Keys. Yay, we love the Keys. We're going to go to Key West, which is about as it's actually the southernmost point of the United States of America is at Key West. We're going to go to Captain Tony's Saloon. This was suggested to us by our listener, Marianne Barkham. Very, very cool. We want to invite you to check out our website, historyghostbump.com. And Denise, if people want to send us feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. We want to thank Erin for your email and also Jewy. She went to Felt Mansion on October 29th. Oh, very, very cool. Yeah, so she got to see the place. She said she felt chills in Agnes's room. And then we had talked about the calculator invention, and we didn't know what it looked like. So she sent us a picture of that calculator invention. It was very cool. Yes. So thank you, Joy, for sending that to us. Carrie let us know that she went on a field trip to a funeral home in the late 90s. Remember a couple episodes ago, I had mentioned that I'd gone on a field trip to a funeral parlor into a cemetery and I wondered if they did that anymore and so in the 90s they were still doing it. Oh very cool and we also had a comment from Jamie. I just started listening to your HGB podcast about a week ago. I love it. I am starting with the first episode and working my way up to the current ones. This might take me a while lol. I'm the mother of four ages one year to 14 years and my kids also love the show. I play it while driving instead of listening to music. We live in Central Florida, DeLand area, and are especially interested in local history. Love all things creepy and supernatural. I'm hooked and can't wait to hear more. I always think it's great when people tell us they can listen with their kids. I know I I like our our younger listeners. They're really sweet. I like all of our listeners, but our younger ones. I have an infinity towards children, so if you're under the age of 10, you kind of hook me quicker. Also, we just want to let you guys know when you join the Spectacular Crew, we love to have you come in and everybody usually dogpiles on you and welcomes you to come in. We've had a lot of strange accounts coming in. We're not sure where they're coming from. So when you get welcomed in, and most of you do this, just acknowledge that you've been welcomed and that you're glad to be there or whatever. Just let us know that you're there because we've been getting a lot of weird accounts and having to try to weed through those to see what are fake, what are trolls. And, you know, that comes with getting more popular. Obviously, we're going to get in that kind of stuff going on, especially if you have a little different uh, international type name. Let us know that you're legit because we've been getting a lot of those that don't look like they're legit. So we just don't want to block somebody or kick you out when you actually are legit. So just let us know who you are and how you heard about us and that you really want to be there. Yes, exactly. Because we just mentioned we have a lot of young listeners, but even our our listeners who aren't children, we're very, very protective of the crew and the the History Goes Bump family. So we just want to make sure it's always a safe place for people. So if you could just come back and acknowledge who you are and also let us know where you're from, that would be very exciting. Again, we just really want to protect the integrity of the, of the group. And so we want you there, but we don't want the other things there. And we do want to announce that the winner of the exclusive t-shirt for the month of November is Roxanne Goon. So congratulations to you. And we have a couple of reviews to share from iTunes. 
First one is from Carrie Ann. Great show and not that scary five stars. I love the show. I think the fact that they not only look at the haunting of the place, but also at the history is great. Anyone who loves Disney is good. I found you through a search of Haunted History and Winchester Mystery House. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Carrie. We appreciate that. And Southern Rhode Island Living. Great podcast, five stars. I found this a year or so ago, and I just love the content delivery. Keep it up, ladies. I look forward to it weekly. Thanks so much, Rhode Island, for your comments. We appreciate that. We want to thank you guys for tuning into this episode. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Thanks. Have a spooky experience that occurred at an historic location? Want to give us feedback or have a suggestion for the show? Share it with us at historygoesbump at gmail.com.